0: This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking With Authors, the podcast. I I, I say cheering, he puts cheering in the background, I don't know which is more important. Anyway, um, I am your host, Erica Lance, my co-host today is...
1: Vanessa Valiente.
0: And our amazing guest today, who uh, Vanessa and the other four horsemen met at Pensacon, is T. Allen.
2: Hi, how are you? Oh, yes. I have nice. it right
0: here. Yes.
2: I've got a copy of two in the background here. Oh, so nice. that was very, very good. Very well. So you still have it. That's great. Of
1: course. Of course. It's not like holding my door open or anything. So Whoa, forget. good. <laughs>
0: Is that a new level we're going to, Vanessa? A book that holds your door open. I think it's not
2: quite a door stopper. It's, not, it's, only, it's only 600 pages or so. I think. Oh my
0: goodness. Yeah, we're we're going to talk about what we're drinking before we discuss books that hold Vanessa's door open. That'll be a new segment on drinking with authors. Okay. I am super excited about this. And I I made my boyfriend go to the store with me yesterday because I found this a little while ago and I was like this could be great or could be complete crap but I love it and it's angry orchard um, mango a peach mango it's it's hard fruit cider and it's so ridiculously yummy Vanessa you had it when you were over here right yes
1: I'm jealous that you're drinking that right now
0: what are you drinking (laughs) Vanessa
1: uh just you know vodka soda nothing 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 as fun
0: as that one Okay. By default out of our drinking with author swag that you will also get as well, that just so you know, because we think everyone should have um, solo cups and <laughs> shot glasses. Well, um, thank you. Yes. Dad, what are you drinking?
2: I actually have Viking blood. Ooh. which is a, um, It's meat. So, uh, I'm kind of I'm a I'm a pretty novice drinker actually, which is kind of weird. But uh I drink very little, but what I do like, unlike you, I like sweet stuff. So I like I like or I like it to taste good. I don't like the stuff that I gotta drink and I'm like, oh, oh that
3: was smooth.
2: You know, I'm I'm not that guy. So if I'm gonna sip at something, I want it to taste kind of good. So I, I I'm a big uh um mead fan I like certain my wines I don't like them terribly dry and I like my uh I like my rum spiced so
0: Mm. um I think these are all taglines I like my my mead yummy I like my wine sweet and I like my rum spiced like I like (laughs) my women
2: yeah definitely spicy on the women (laughs) my wife's a redhead so
0: I've, I totally feel you. Before my hair decided to turn this color, um, uh, that's I was a redhead too. Trust me, my, my boyfriend feels your pain. Okay, so let's talk about what you write for those that maybe don't know.
2: Okay, um, so I'm a sci-fi and fantasy writer, and I write um, kind of a lot of hybrid stuff, but I, I typically write dark, it's gritty, uh, I have a detective noir that takes place on the moon in Lunatic City. I have a, a espionage cyberpunk uh, in Hard Rain, and I have my epic fantasy, which is um, War of the Gods, and it's it's a very it's a it's on the darker side. It's much more Game of Thrones than than, uh, than Lord of the Rings, and um, uh, I have an epic uh, space opera also that is that is a little bit. All of it's darker, all of it's kind of edgier and grittier kind of a feel, more of a Battlestar Galactica feel in my sci-fi. Oh my gosh,
0: so. that is awesome. And which one were you holding up, Vanessa? You were holding up? War of the Gods. Yes. So that's the high fantasy series.
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah, Very that's, cool. um, yeah, I, uh, I, I borrow a lot from history, actually. So, like, I'm a sci-fi writer. I'm a fantasy writer, but I borrow very liberally from history. I'm a huge history buff. So I I, I borrow from the American Revolution, from the American Civil War. I borrow, especially when I'm doing sci-fi stuff, I'll borrow from, so like, World War II or, or you know, the, like, some people who've read my stuff will see the Tet Offensive or uh, uh, Echoes of the French and Russian Revolution in some of my stuff. So I, I borrow from... Uh, quite liberally from history
0: that is very cool but you were a firefighter yes let's go back in time i like the time travel we can do on this show let's go back in time you were a firefighter so how did you go from firefighter to epic writing huge gigantic books author like how did that particular we've never had that leap discussed on this show so how did that leap occur
2: no it's a it's not much of a leap so i grew up kind of a uh, I always was kind of a rom- romantic and I was always kind of absorbed in. Uh, I always liked writing. I always liked the craft of writing. I always liked studying how, Oh, well, you know, this is foreshadowing. And this is, see, this is what they call thematic consistency. And this character is changing and developing. And these are the two, you know, and so I always was interested in that, but at my heart, um, I really was attracted to the fire department. And I was attracted to it um, because at my heart, I also like military. I was always a big military guy, a history, military history buff. And so one of the reasons that I got into the fire department was because I didn't want to be told, hey, uh, yeah, you're going to Germany. No, I'm not going to Germany. But I wanted a career that gave me that same kind of accomplishment or sense of accomplishment. And and people like firemen more than they like cops. So I went into the fire department and um, I spent 25 great years doing that and and about, I got, actually, about the time I got hired, I got hired in 96 with Pasco and then Hillsborough in 2000, I moved over. And um, about the time I did that, I started uh, Prisithian Rain, which was an epic uh, dark fantasy, largely influenced by the French and Russian Revolution. A lot of its politics are a lot more present day than I would like today. Let's put it that way. So, um I um I started working on that. I worked on it for like 12 years and I just played with it and did it and I wrote a sequel. Um, and then I found out about this self-publishing thing, which I didn't jump on right away because even though I was interested in writing, I was a firefighter and I wanted at the time I was a driver. I wanted to be a captain. And, you know, that's a whole discipline that really kind of when you're when you're in that life, you're in that life. And that is that is it. That's what you do. That's what you are. So. It wasn't until I started to wind down my career that I really started to give a lot more attention to writing. And I said, you know, I really I really think I I want to I want to do this. So I started pursuing that as my career started to wind down. And and um, and yeah, it was great. It was a fantastic it was it, it's been great. Um, both of them. I, I love both. I love both both careers. And uh, I really, really enjoy being a writer, but I wouldn't give up being a fired for any, or firefighter for any.
0: How come you haven't written about firefighting or a firefighting character? I'm just oh, curious because, no. you, you know, you've done it for so long. You really know the, you'd have the correct voice of that, mm-hmm. right? Because you actually know versus people who write firemen in a lot of sexy novels. I don't think we go very far into the fireman <laughs> thing other than they're a firemen and they're sexy because they're a fireman, and there's calendars with firemen on them. But um, how come you haven't written about that?
2: Well, there's two reasons, and one of them is, as a firefighter, um, I didn't really want to go there while I still worked as a firefighter, if that makes sense. Um, And so, and and my interests really, as a firefighting character, it was really, I had a hard time finding the interest, like my sci-fi and fantasy, interest and my roots. It's really hard to find that. Now, I will say uh, people have told me that my most natural voice is probably Frank Parker in Lunatic City, who is a cop. He's a noir character, right? It's it's basically noir on the moon. And Frank Parker is, they say, my most uh, authentic voice. And I suspect that is because I'm not a cop, but I'm a cousin, right? So, um, I think some of the insights that you get into those kind of characters can come through, and you can still do those characters without being a firefighter per se. You could still paramilitary. You can you can get some of that military feel too out of that culture. The cultures are very similar, um, so I think that I have it because of that reason. But I have has benefited me in some of my writings and some of my characters, if that makes any sense. It's kind of a rambling way to do that.
0: No. And I love, that's what we do as authors. We ramble, but I love that because I think one thing that's I, as you were talking about it too, but I was trying to think back to how many um, stories that I've seen with firefighters versus cops, even whether it's a cop noir series or whatever, not a lot of series. I'm just, okay. I'm just planting a seed. I'm just saying, You'd write a really well, dark series with firefighters, and
2: it, to be honest, I don't really want to talk about it too much in a public setting yet. But yeah, I actually have given some thought to that. I had a, I had a, I do want to do that, but that means getting a new pen name and a new identity because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sci-fi and fantasy writer, and if you're going to be an indie writer, you have to keep your also bought separate. So I'm going to have to complete com- create a completely new author identity to write firefighting books. And I do want to do that. I do want to do that in the context of, I want to, we'll do that in a context of a mystery. We'll just put it that way. And, and so I do eventually want to go down that road, but, but I'm just, I'm trying to get, I'm trying not to spread myself too thin because I would have thought that retirement would have been, woohoo, I have nothing but time, but what ends up happening to be honest with you, a lot of the structure in my life is completely gone now. You know, Every third day I had to be at the fire department. I'm doing this and doing that. Now it's like you would think, that oh, well, I have nothing but time. But then all these honeydews come up and these other things go on and kids need you over here and go over there. And you're like, man, I'm kind of, I'm kind of nappish at three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm going to take me a nap. And then the next thing you know, your day is gone and you've maybe written... You know, uh, 500 words for the day, and you've not really done any of hit, met any of your goals. So, I'm finally getting a schedule wrestled out of my day. I'm finally getting the discipline down. We, you know, we've kind of had some of the mishap that we've we had, you know. So, uh, some of that's been part of that whole retirement, losing track of life thing. And, and I, I'm getting, I'm getting a schedule set up. And once I'm able to do that, and I can start producing enough product. And putting getting enough output then i'll start worrying about adding to my plate but right now my plate is pretty full so
1: so I have a question cause sure. I always like learning about other people's process on like scheduling.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: how do you like right now, I know you're, you're still trying to find your way on that, but like, what, how are you determining that? Are you just setting a block of time or you, or are you saying, I, ha- you know, my day is not complete unless I write a certain amount of words. Like, how do you, how do you schedule your, you know, your book time, especially with a deadline?
2: So what, what I do is that's a good question. And, I think it's a question that a lot of people wrestle with. So I'm a firm believer that if you're going to be a pro in this business, you've got to sit down and make the time and have the discipline and do all the things that comes along with being a pro. Right? So what I do is I get up in the morning. I'm an early bird, not by design. I used to be a night owl, but somewhere in my middle age, I've become a much less of an early bird and much more of a um, morning person. Right? So I'm out of bed at 5, 5.30, 6 at the latest, right? Now, my daughter, I do take her to work sometimes. She's at 6 o'clock in the morning, girl. So she's at work at 6 in the morning. She may also, by the way, come by here in a few minutes when she gets off work. That's not my fault. So um, so she, she, she gets me up sometimes, and I take her. And what I traditionally do then is when I'm up, I sit in front of the computer, and I start making the donuts, right? The old the old Dunkin' Donuts. You guys, you remember. I don't know if you remember. Time to make the donuts. So you get out of bed, you make the donuts. Um, and I try to do that. I, I will say that yesterday, my wife will tell you, I, it was a pain. No, not yesterday. The day before yesterday was a painful writing day. But I think you need those. You know, you go there and you stare at the computer and then you go sit on the couch and then you're looking at your phone and you're thinking, how am I going to get from point A to point B, how do I do that? And even if you don't solve those answers, at least you're spending the time mulling it over. And then I woke up the next morning and I was 500 words deep at seven o'clock in the morning. So you just, it just, it just, but you got to be, you got to do it. You got to put the time down. So, okay. So my wife is going to get my daughter now. So they are going to (laughs) come back through here.
0: So, and the and dogs that's may have some We noise. have, we have oh, guests can you put, that come in. Sometimes they're... I, I'm,
2: I'm sorry. Can you put the dogs back in the room? will bark. I don't care. They won't be in this room barking. Okay. I also have I also have furry beasts that may make some noise in the next room, but at least they won't be in here. Because
0: Again, uh, we were doing an interview the other day, and he's like, I'm just going to warn you about my cat. And we're like, oh, that's okay. And literally the cat was like hello let me just like, and i mean but not even like a little bit like a little tail like no it was like full screen cover <laughs> and then the cat pushed the laptop over like it was Ooh. full on like That's you could so tell weird, and he was trying man. to maintain his composure it was completely hysterical because he's trying to seriously talk about it's it, cool. yeah. they, it was, like all of a sudden you'd see the tail flick and then all this some chaos would happen with it, so I'm right. cool. This is
2: normal. Can you hear them?
0: There's oh yeah, right. but it's all it's good. Fine. Don't worry.
2: All right. He listen. He does his job, though. People nah, do not no, come near the totally. house, and he's, so, yes. Do you have a question?
0: I do. Yes. So romantic, Go whatever. On. Your first book was the Rain series, correct?
2: No, rain, no series. rain is my latest series. Forgive me as I pull. Oh, it. Rain is my latest series. My first series was uh, a uh, was the Priscina Crusade. <laughs> or the Priscina trilogy, and uh, it's a it's a trilogy. It's an epic dark. I call it Battlestar Galactica meets Les Mis. Oh, so it's a it's a very French or Russian style revolution set in a future uh, where there's a corporate ar- ruled by a corporate aristocracy, and um, it's a, uh it's a three obviously it's three parts, but I don't, I don't like to give too much away because it's kind of generational. It's kind of a little different. It's not, it's not the same characters. I, I make different characters in each series, in each, uh, in each, uh, installment. So I That's, follow that family.
0: That is very cool. So when was your first book published? Where were we beginning here?
2: So the beginning, I actually would have to check, but I think 2012 is about right for, I, I was, I was indie published. Um, Originally, I called it uh, Killer Penguin Entertainment after my son. That was the name of my publishing house then. And um, I uh, I wrote uh, a few books um, under that. A Lunatic City made it. So I did, I think it would have been book one and two of Pristhian of the Prisina Trilogy. And then Lunatic City came right after that. And then. And then it gets even fuzzier beyond that, especially as I drink this stuff. So,
0: no, that's okay. We, I don't have to remember dates because I'm the host, so I'm, <laughs> I'm drinking. Um, why, why did you go self-publishing? What made you decide to choose that route or create your own in, um, publishing company but self-publish?
2: So that's a really good question, and the and the answer is, I tried the traditional route for a long, long time. Uh, I I sent in stuff while I was um I sent in stuff probably at at the end of um the end of the probably the end of the 2010 like the tw- uh, the two thousands towards the towards 2010 I was I was actually querying um publishers like in 2005 2006 and they would keep it and then they would send me back you know you'd send the letter and the, you know you do all the stuff and they would send me back a letter. Thanks, but no thanks. You know, we like your, we like your book, but not that much. And I don't really know how much they liked it. There was one tour, I think it was kept it for nine months before I got a no. which they told me, oh, that means you made it through some of the layers of, of which I don't know if that's true or not. But um, I did try. And, um, and I, I Finally, my wife, my lovely redheaded wife is the one who uh, who said, look, man, I've been reading this article about Amazon and I think you should just go ahead and take your stuff and do that. And, and so that's really what started that in the and well, I'm going to say 2012. And then, like I said, then I started working on the sequels and stuff at that point. So, that's you know,
0: what it um, I I have to say it, it's interesting because yours is the story that I hear a lot in a way of why people went the self-publishing route because there weren't any doors that opened. I think, you know, we have this idea of what that's like of submitting your work and doing that whole thing. And it's very hard because you you want it to get out there. You want your, your, you know, and, and it's not even so much, I think, you know, we're all expecting a million dollar contract from Random House, you know, it's, um, we would like our work out there. And when it doesn't, you gotta go, I think a lot of people, um, don't necessarily go, you know it's screw it, I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. You know, be, especially back then, because that's when self-publishing was a little bit newer, yeah. still had a, like a, a little bit of a, a, a dirty feel to it at the time. Not that it's 100% clean at this point, but I mean, it's much, at that time, it was much more like, oh, you're just putting crap out if you're self-publishing.
2: Well, and, and actually, um, I still, even after the 2000s, um, I did still pursue publication. I actually was published. I, I guess technically I'm hybrid. I was published. Lunatic City did get optioned by um, um, Kevin Anderson, but his company, Wordfire Press. Kevin Anderson owns Wordfire Press. I actually was a, a Wordfire writer, and uh, I eventually bought out my contract because I, I wanted the chance to manage myself. They did. They treated me great. I, I have no complaints about them. In fact, Kevin was nothing but a gentleman. But um, when I when I asked to buy myself out of the contract, he was nothing but a gentleman. He worked with me. He was great. Um, Dave Butler was a uh, acquisitions editor at the time. So those are all fond memories. So I did go that route, but I really wanted to be able to manage it myself. And, and, and I I eventually bought into the fact that no one believes, and again, it's no knock on anybody else, but no one believes in you like you, right? Nobody's going to sell Thad Thad, Diaz, T. Allen Diaz, like T. Allen Diaz. And I think that, uh, you know, if if you have a, a, a bad, bad luck or bad, you know, a lot of these publishing houses, and it's nothing personal, there's too many people out there. They've got X amount of slots. And if you blew your shot, You come out, you go in and that's the end of that. And so, and I don't blame them for that. That's, that's the business model. And, um, but I would rather have the retain the control and be the guy. And I don't have to change stuff that they think doesn't work. If my stuff is a little too dark for them, that's okay. I'm, I'm doing my own stuff. So it gives me more control. And, and I, I, I don't think I have all the answers or that I know it all. I do not believe that. I think that you're foolish, to do to think that but those are kind of my reasoning behind why, why I eventually shifted away from the traditional angle and, and I and I've gone with this with the uh, self-publishing so the indie publishing
1: I have to ask so basically once you become an indie publisher you're, you kind of wear multiple hats you know oh yeah. you're the marketer you're the editor in a sense like do you hire you know outside people to do your covers and your mm-hmm. editing and yep. like how what's like your process? Do you work with different people depending on the project or do you have someone that you consistently work with? Like what's your relationship and with those so people?
2: I, I have an editor. Um, I've had a couple of editors, um, but I have right now, I've uh, always seen it. Aisha Rim is my editor. If she's watching this and I mispronounced it, I'm sorry, but I've only seen it <laughs> spelled. So, um, Aisha is my editor. She does a fantastic job. I love working with her. She's she, she's very familiar with my stuff. Uh, before her, I had a really great uh, editor in Maya Cleve. I had, she was nothing but great. Um, at the time, though, she she I was frankly I was I was priced out. Of it. I couldn't I couldn't make that work. Um, Aisha is fantastic. Uh, she does great work. Um, we have a great relationship. She's very cool. I, I, I have deadlines. I miss deadlines a lot more than I'd like to, but I'm working on, I'm doing a lot better. And I think I am. Aisha might argue, but I, I think I'm doing a lot better now, but it is tough. Um, um, and if you are watching this, Aisha, you probably already know, because I think these are delayed, but uh, I think I'm on time for book four, rain book four, but anyway. Um, woohoo! So, um, so yeah. So, um so um the other thing i work with uh, a guy named uh alvin epps who's a fantastic cover artist he's done almost all of my stuff he did lunatic city he did uh hard rain he did uh my Priscina covers which they're not they're not behind me i only had so much room but or and i also work with uh Stuart Bache across the pond to do my War of the Gods. Again, that is not a reflection on Alvin Epps. It's a reflection on me. Alvin does exactly what I ask him to, but my eye for that particular genre sucks. And you've got to understand that when you ask somebody for a product and they give it to you, well, then you've got to pay them. And it's not their fault that it doesn't work. The reason it doesn't work is because I don't have the eye. So Stuart Bache is an, is a, is a, um, Uh, an actual cover designer he designed that cover that cover really really works for the genre and I highly recommend him uh, just as I recommend Ivan Epps now these others have worked because they're pulpier they've got kind of the they kind of got the 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 you know they're a little they're a little easier cover for me the simpleton that I am in that particular to to manage but uh, yeah, I, I think that going with a cover, you know, that in effect, I have personal loyalty. Alvin Epps has been with me from the beginning, and I'm a very personally loyal guy. So as long as I, I can give, as long as I can continue to do business with Alvin, I will do that. Just on on general principle, as long as it doesn't hurt my business model, and it it does not. He does excellent work, and and I think those covers are fantastic, and they sell very very well.
0: Absolutely, and it's they sell very very well. Part of the whole thing with covers, and I think a lot of people don't get this, and what you just said is so, so true. There are covers that work with genres. It's Mm -hmm. great you want to genre bend and you can absolutely genre bend, but what does the audience expect to see and how far can you bend it that it's still that audience and they can recognize the book in front of them? And if they can't, because we are at a point, um, you know, and people used to go, I go into bookstores and if I like the cover, I pick up the book. That doesn't necessarily work digitally in your little one by one and a half, whatever the little thumbnail that you get, it does not work to say they're going to pick up the book. They're going to look at the cover and go, does that look like something I would want to read? And if not, they're going to move on. Right. It's so that simple now, you know, like you get a very limited elevator pitch to any audience out there. And if you do not nail that cover, I don't care if it was a picture from a time when you were writing the book and it meant something to you and blah, 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 blah. But if it's a horror book and you have a little girl running in a field with a flower in her hand, unless you make that cover very dark and markab, then you're not gonna, you're not gonna go, that's a horror book. People are gonna think it's like a life inspiration book or something like that, right?
1: Well also I think it has to do also looking at books that are coming out today. You know, like, cause I think a lot of the times people uh, tend to fall in love with a book that they read years and years and years ago, and they're going based off of an old variant cover. And sometimes those covers no longer work in the current marketplace. And you have to tweak that. Like, I'm sure like, I, I think like George R. R. Martin has gone through so many different covers because right. he's been writing for decades. So what he used when Game of Thrones first came out versus today, are not going to be the same covers that are going to attract the same audience that he's trying to target. Just like, you know, Stephen King, you know, they, their covers change. So sometimes you even have to go with what is going today and not what was happening several decades ago in that genre.
2: A hundred percent. And that actually is also true of foreign markets. If you're, if you do a foreign book, a lot of times they will run different covers because of the cultural differences of those countries. And they will expect different tropes, different appearances Uh, otherwise you won't convey with your American cover in Germany what you want I don't have the I don't have the good fortune of having a translation yet but it's on the list um but to to follow up on something that you said I actually did that like are you one of my favorite books when I was teens going into my 20s late teens early 20s the Timothy Zahn books came out the Star Wars yeah Mm-hmm. And I, I actually I, just
0: I, talked to him at Tampa Bay Comic Con. We were just there. And I yes. anyway, but he's, he's amazing.
2: He's uh he's one of the few authors I've actually fanboyed over. And my wife thought it was adorable. But I was like, Oh my god, it's Timothy Zahn. He is such a cool <laughs> dude. I've seen him several times now, and I still get a little bit like fanboyish around him because he's just I love the guy. He's he's fantastic. It, but his his writing, his books, those three books I consider I consider canon. I'm sorry, but I love those. I love those Thrawn books and the heir to the empire. They had a very specific look in my day, and they had Leia and you know the different characters, and you could kind of see them looking off in the distance. And then they had some action sequences at the bottom. I emulated that in 2010 when I rebuilt my when I did my covers. But guess what? Those covers were 20 years old, so um, it didn't work. You know, so I said late teens, late teens, my late teens, early 20s, but that was early 90s. So, you know, those, co- those covers are going on 20, you know, those covers are going on 20 years old. So my stuff was dated from day one. I had to completely redo those covers. And, well, that was an expensive lesson, but that's okay. That's what the business, I, I love the craft. I love doing what I'm doing. So it's fine with me.
0: I have to say one of the first books I ever picked up was The Veil of the Vole by Pierce Anthony, and it's part of the Zant series. And I'm actually very fortunate that Pierce Anthony's agreed to allow us to do a podcast recording as soon as COVID is over. And I'm waiting because I do not want to give Pierce Anthony COVID because I'm not going to be responsible for the death of Pierce Anthony. Things that will not no. happen this lifetime. So, but... If you look at the Veil of the Vol cover, it's this, it's cheesy. They're little cheesy characters and stuff like that. The, The book I still have from when I got it back then. It's true with the Chronicles of Narnia. The original Chronicles of Narnia covers were very campy, cheesy. That's the genre back then. And I think it's important, the lesson before we take our required commercial break here, that authors can get from this is, Whether it's your publication company, it's kind of your responsibility. Take a look at what other people in the genre or closest genres are publishing that are selling books. We're not saying copy them, but they're selling books. You want it to look similar. You want it to be that somebody can look at your book and their book and recognize it's that genre. This is the kind of story. This is what you're telling. And it's not a slight on you. And we love all your creative inferences that you want to put in your thing. But when it comes down to it, you will never have readers if you don't sell your damn book. So Mm -hmm. figure out how to sell your damn book. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. Yep. That's 100% correct. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with Drinking With Authors. This is the voice of Drinking With Authors. You are at our commercial break, and our commercial is, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Oh, okay. again. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Talk about okay. your deconstructed characters. We went on a break okay. and we've been drinking and we should have started recording again. Go ahead.
2: Okay. So, so... We were talking bad about Walter White, or I was anyway. And so we were talking about deconstructing characters. And I, and I was just saying that as a writer, I think it's important that, you know, you like or be interested in the characters that you're that you're writing and finding a way to make them interesting to the reader is important. That's 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 the craft. But one of my characters, Leo Krasminski, who is the, the baddie in in um, Prisithian Rain, my first my first book. He, I tried to make him cool. He's the one villain that I tried to make kind of, I want you to like this guy. You you don't really like him. You just want to think you like him. So he's, which I hate mob movies, by the way, but he's a mobster. He's a mafioso and he ends up being appointed corporate security by the, um, by the real heavy. He's like the henchman, you know, the, the, so, um, Leo, though, he's very urbane, he's very sophisticated. he smokes clothes, cigarettes, he wears this kind of fancy outfit. And I kind of tried to, I actually made him a bit of a POV character um, and which is something I haven't done since then. I really haven't made my villains for the most part POV. I'm not gonna give anything away on that. So, um, but I, I have, um, I haven't made too many of my villains POV characters but I really enjoyed writing him, and I really enjoyed making him this guy that does these terrible things. He does them on the page, and I and people tell me I love him, and I'm like, yeah, he's cold-blooded, psychopathic killer. But yeah, I get it. I I, I get it. It was it was it was a lot of fun writing him. I enjoyed him. He was a lot of fun. Well,
1: I always want to know why is it that we like the villain, like Loki? I think of Loki for some reason. I you can't help like he does really bad things but yet i still want him to like i'm still rooting for him like i get upset when he doesn't succeed yet some of his goals are not you know good i i want to know like why do we like villains you know what makes us like kind of root for
0: them in a way drinking and then you ask that question okay um why do you think we like villains
2: I think we like villains because they remind us of a very real part of our personality. I think that, I think there's a very, we're going to be deep and philosophical about this, okay. uh, but I do. I, I think that, I think that we, as people have uh, some uh, dark, uh, darker edges to our personality, to our existence. Um, we do live in a pretty dark world. Sometimes it can be pretty bad. And I think that there are, I think that they have this kind of a subconscious appeal because of that we, we like the fact that they don't they don't live by the rules we do they do their own thing and damn it that's okay and and they're okay with that and i think that that appeals to us for that very reason that's just my my uh, armchair psychology but that's that's what i truly
0: think i think it's true i think also is um you take loki as a character and loki is comically evil and still has some parts that you 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 see humanity with them versus you take on a character like there was um a character um in sort of truth that was a lead bad guy and he was a pedophile forget the name of the character now but he was written with literally no redeeming quality whatsoever right and he got tortured and killed in the book right and I looked at that and I was so impressed because I think a lot of times people try to put some, you know, to your Walter White analogy, like, are we supposed to feel sorry for him? Are we supposed to feel bad? Are we supposed to feel empathy for him? The whole time I went, this is a megalomaniac that was hiding under the fact that he had failed in life. And then the moment he got any taste of success in his Mm -hmm. world, right? became a completely different person he proved to us over and over again that he put himself literally himself not even his family even though he said his family all the time but he put himself above everybody else and I think when you can do that in art and really show that part of a character I think it's it's amazing and it you know I think a lot of us you know, do have that part where we think if just this one other thing had happened, mm-hmm. we would be down that dark path.
2: Right. But for right. the grace of God, like, go I.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like this yeah. one part of humanity turned off. I write serial killers. I'm writing a series on serial killers, and I don't even want to discuss how many notes I have on different serial killers and how they kill people and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, I've told all my friends, if I get arrested, please bring these journals in because it's going to explain a lot. But, um, I look at it and I go, you know, these guys are very methodical. And the reason a lot of serial killers don't get caught for a long time is they're very methodical and they don't have that humanity aspect to them. Right. You know.
2: And they they have no connection to the villain. villain. Because
0: if you have that humanity aspect, you're going to get caught because there's a degree of you actually think you're doing something wrong versus when somebody writes a truly good bad guy you, the truly good bad guy thinks they're doing the right thing or their view is right or whatever. They're not like, you know, what is it, Batman? Some people just want to watch the world burn, right? Mm-hmm. They're not stealing right. the rubies to take the rubies. It's just because they can and destroy right. this whole thing. Part of the game. Yep. yep. So let's talk about your heroes for a moment. Um, mm-hmm. uh, well, actually, I'm going to go back to a thing. Yay, having many drinks. Um, let's talk about your inspiration. Uh, um, where did you, do you feel like a lot of your ideas come from? So,
2: most of my ideas are pulled right out of history. Uh, most of my i am i am an i am a voracious reader of all things, but I, I am a huge military history. buff. I'm a huge Civil War buff. I like Napoleon. Thus. You know, War of the War of the Gods. I I am very very interested in um, human conflict, even though I don't want to live through one. So, um, I draw a lot from that. I draw a lot from the political tensions that you see as a reoccurring theme in history. I draw a lot from military campaigns that you see in history. I draw a lot from historic figures. Um, as a matter of fact, some of my characters, especially in War of the Gods. I go, yeah, I'm going to take some of this guy and a pinch of that guy and some of this chick over here, and I'm going to put all these, and that's what, and I'm, I'm really kind of doing some of that, and maybe in retrospect, people may figure some of that out. Of course, I do my own thing. I'm not not trying to make my own, you know, I'm not trying to just make a historical allegory or anything, but but I am, um, I do borrow very, very, very liberally from history, and um. And so that's where I get a lot of my inspiration, Uh, pop culture. Um, I walked out of a movie one day and I said, you know what? I like that idea, but I think I can, I know the sounds, I think I can do a better job. So uh, War of the Gods is, is partially that also. Um, So War of the Gods is really, if you can't tell is a passion project of mine. It is absolutely my favorite child. There's no disputing it. And uh, I'm very delighted that the read through is going up on that. So, It makes me, makes me, keeps me motivated. So, um, but yeah, that's where I got most of it. I do have an anecdotal story that actually, Procythian rain literally came from a dream that actually did happen. It's the only time it's ever happened, but I actually drew inspiration from her, from that story, from literally from a dream.
0: That's very cool. Do you have audio books?
2: I have a, I do I need to finish the lunatic City series um, as an audiobook I've got all but the last one but again being a private being my own guy all those expenses come out of my pocket so um, I've got to front end the money put the money on the front end and then you know and I have done pretty well on my on my book sales but they're expensive to put together that's an expensive production for me to do so I have books one through three of lunatic City but not book four
0: you listen to a lot of audiobooks.
2: I listen to a ton of audiobooks. I listen to whenever I'm doing something. I'm either listening to a podcast. If I'm not writing, I, I write with music. But if I can't listen to a book and write a book, I, I wish. I wish I was that talented, but I can't. Um, uh, but otherwise, I'm listening to a book. So that's usually what
0: I'm doing. I think that's very cool. Um, so you published the books, you've done this whole thing. Do you write short stories? Because your books seem very thick.
2: Not it's all of them, actually. Nice. Um, well, some of my, Lunatic City and Hard Rain, they're actually very pulpy. So I kind of have a, a pretty good variety. But I do actually have some short stories. I have I have Hero of Sticks in the Chris Kennedy uh, collection of the Four Horsemen universe. I'm very proud of that. Chris Kennedy is a cool dude. Um I I I really wish I'd have hung out with that crowd a little bit more. I kind of kind of slipped away a little bit. I'm on the out, out not out, it's like they're not mad at me or anything, but I just kind of, you know, you you stop swimming in that stream and they've gone down the stream. I kind of wish I'd have hung out with those guys a little bit more. But um what a great, what a great universe to write in. I wrote in um also another guy named John Holmes. I don't know if that's his actual JF, I think is his initials.
0: Um, I was going to say John Holmes, that's a completely different genre, but. Uh,
2: yes. Yes. Not that John. I assume that's why he uses J. But um, I was in his hundred worlds and I have a I think I have a military sci-fi short story in his, I know I do. Wolf at the door. Uh, I have Wolf at the door and the witch written by him. And the witch is a code name. Not a. It's not a fantasy. It's actually a, a short story through the military sci-fi short story. And um very proud of both of those. Very proud of being in both of those uh both of those universes. It's you it's know, been
0: a blast. Um, let's talk about your fans for a little bit. Oh sorry Vanessa you had a question. No, I have a, I have a question because I, I want to
1: go back to your research because um, I love research as well and history.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you feel like
2: I feel like you're gone. Where did and you and she
0: disappeared you got to love technology. Vanessa will be back as we continue recording. I have
2: faith. I have faith that she will return.
0: She will return. I know for a fact she will as soon as she realizes that she's gone. That's fun. I wonder if she's still asking the question, though. But I'm going to ask my question now. Let's talk about your fans for a little bit. Sure. Um, So with your fans, um, what was your first fan experience? Like the very first time somebody was like, oh, my God, I love your book.
2: Um, so I was at, okay, so I was at, um, I can't remember, I can't remember which show it is, not sure why, but I can't remember. Yeah, no, I have no Um, idea
0: why you couldn't remember things.
2: (laughs) But, um, no, um, so, uh, the, um, I was at a show, I think it was Tampa Bay Comic Con, and if not, it was Pensacon, it, it was a Florida con cause it's basically what I do. And I was at the, at the con and I, I had written, uh, this, this young woman comes up to me and she's like, Oh my God, you're here. I have, you have another lunatic city. She had loved lunatic city and she just went on and on and on about how happy she was just that, Oh my God, you're, you know, I, I want, and I, I think at the time I had only one lunatic city available one like I had the second one and so she took the second one and she was just over the moon and it was really cool. You know, it was really, it was really a neat, uh, it was really a neat thing. And, um, and I, I I really enjoyed that. And I've had, since then I've had other stuff I've had, I've had some others that have those, that was my first, but I've had a few that will kind of, I, I always want to call him Casey. It's not Casey. I don't think Uh, I have a, yeah. Hmm. So, um, but I have had now I get people that will follow me from con to con to con. And I do have people that are on my email list that actually correspond with me like pen pal style. So that's really, really cool. I really, I really enjoy all of that. It's, it's all very cool.
0: That is, I think it's amazing to have fans. And then, I mean, for us, I think as authors, when we hit that point where we've made a huge difference to somebody. You know what I mean? Like you mm-hmm. have that moment where you're like, "Oh my god!" I had that first um, fangirl moment, and I was like, when she came up because I was actually for me, I was doing a writing work class, w- writing workshop, right? Mm-hmm. And um, then all of a sudden, um, and I was because I have two different pen names. I have one that I write my erotica under, and I have one that I write my horror under because it's not horror erotica and right. You know, humorous erotica and people would be mad. Also, um, books, yes. Uh, and I was talking under my my normal, my Erica Lance, right? I was doing the whole thing and then we were talking and she, uh, something I said and it was in the middle and there's all these people around the table and she's like, wait, you're Dahlia Lance? And I'm like, yeah. And I was <laughs> just continuing. She's like, you wrote blah And like she just went a <laughs> whole fan, like epic fangirl moment. And I was like, Cool. And it was weird because I wasn't ready for it almost. Like, you know, when you're at a convention booth or something, right. not that we're ready for it, like we're expecting people to come lavish us with accolades. Right. But there is a moment that you're like, oh my God, that just happened. Like, they, she loved the story so much that, and it was, it was kind of adorable. But what kind of feedback do you get from your fans?
2: Uh, I get, um, I, well, I get, Mostly fantastic feedback, which makes me very happy. The, so like I have a, I have an email list and I communicate with a lot of people from like all around the world. I have a, I have a, a beta readers. okay, um, And they, they are, you know, kind <laughs> of the humility, but to be honest with you, they say some very, very flattering things. They love, they, some of those guys, some of those guys and gals, they, they write some really nice things, you know, like a one, Oh man, I love the these aspects. Like one guy was telling me, you know, we were talking about a character and, um, I'm, oh I'm notorious for killing my characters off. So he's like, I love this character that you, you know, and I'm like, Oh, that's good.
0: That's, that's not going to work bye, out bye. for
2: you. But, but so he tells, but but one thing he tells me that I thought was a really cool compliment is he says to me, he says, um, he says, Hey, um, what I really hello.
0: This is, this is J M. Paquette. She's and I, I, Vanessa's in. We're having technical difficulties. You get so many hosts. I had her join in because the oh. computer died. You stay right there, Jen. This is T. Allen. He was talking to me about fan stuff. We're in. But finish what you were saying.
2: So so welcome back. So he says. Um, you know, one of the things that I like about because he was talking about a, a villain, and he said one of the things that I like about your vill- your characters is they're real people. They're mo they have real motivations. You know, and I I really that that was really some good feedback, and and I really enjoy. It's good to hear that. You know, I, sometimes I like people to go well. You know, this would make your stories better. I want that too, but it is nice to hear people say you know that character really connected with me. I really enjoyed that character and, and your character, you know, that guy was really real to me. And I, I that, that means a lot. I mean, cause that as a writer that tells me maybe I'm, I'm doing something, something right. You know? So, yeah. No. So.
0: And now that we have, we have three hosts. I, this has never happened. So you should feel super special. Internet I've... things. I just pinged. I was like, Vanessa's gone. Not sure what's happening. Jump in. But, um, you know, when when we're talking about fans, too, and you were just talking about accolades, how have you found finding beta readers? Because one of the things is you can find a ton of people that will read your book and will go, I liked it, or, you know, whatever. But, like, true, hi, I'm going to tell you the things I did like, here's your list, how are the things I didn't like?
2: Uh, The answer to that question is, mm, it is tough. And, and, and I, to me, it's kind of you take – you kind of – I don't want to say you take what you get because that doesn't – it sounds very mm. – these people are taking their time to read your book and offer criticism, and I think sometimes they probably are a little reluctant to offer stinging, biting, your plot sucks, this is bad, that's a problem, um, and I understand that, and I just accept that as, all right, I got to just understand that most of these people are going to be gentle, even though I don't want them to be. And I tell them not to be, but they do still give you insights. They do still give you things. And of course you've got a developmental editor that you're paying that uh, is a little less, she's still kind, but she is a little less reserved about saying, Hey, yeah, this uh, plot thing here. Yeah. This sucks. You got to fix that. So I'm okay with that. Right. So you know, everybody kind of fills their roles. And so a lot of times I I see beta readers as punch out work, like the punch out people, right? They read your stuff. If they've got any glaring inconsistencies, they're going to tell you. I did have, I've had a couple of guys, I've had some folks like a guy from across the pond and I, I put hush puppies on someone's plate and he goes, I thought they had shoes on their plate because I guess over there, they don't have hush puppies. I have no idea. So you will occasionally get those kind of cultural things and those sort of things. But I think, I think you're right. I think a lot of times there's a lot of hesitancy on their part because they're like, "Oh, I don't want to not, you know, I don't want to not be on his team anymore or whatever the case may be. Maybe they just feel bad criticizing, but, um, but you know, you, you get some, you get some definite value out of it. You take the value you get and you just appreciate what they do for you. That's
0: how do you feel about reviews?
2: I love reviews and I, as long as they're not malicious, I've actually had to. I've actually had uh, Amazon remove one malicious ad or one malicious uh, review. It was clearly malicious. We'll just put it that way. He he mentioned me by name, and it was a. We got into a discussion on Facebook that he didn't agree with my opinion, and so he copy and pasted my opinion uh, as a as a review, and um, he doxed me. By name, which is I think well how I was able to get it re- removed because at first they weren't going to remove it, but then they did remove it because I said, Hey, he specifically uses my name, and that is not who I that's not cool. And so they were like, Okay, we removed it for you. And you know, look, man, as long as you if you don't like my stuff, I mean look, my stuff's not for everybody, it's dark, it's 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 you know, maybe you don't like my prose. maybe you don't like my characters. I'm fine with that. I mean, it's not for everybody. I, I mean, y- if you think you're going to be for everybody, you're not doing it to be completely honest. With you, you can't, you can't have an honest voice as an author and appeal to everybody. It's impossible. There are people who are going to go that, you know, There, I've heard people say about George Martin, who I think is a great writer. And they're like, that guy's too gloomy. And I'm like, yeah, isn't he great? But that's the point is it just doesn't work for everybody's not the same. And, um, you know the old adage: if ever if everybody's thinking the same way, nobody somebody somebody's not thinking, and so it's the same way with with art. You know, some people are just aren't going to like it. That's fine. I'm lucky; I've gotten mostly positive reviews. I've gotten some really good reviews, and I, I take the I take them all, hopefully, in stride. Well, I, and know.
0: I think you have to again to your point. Reviews are a lot of times for readers and not necessarily for the author. I think, mm-hmm. like you know, I tell new authors that get. Uh, i'm going to use the word vexed mainly because i haven't used it yet today but vexed by their reviews that they um and i'm like then stop reading your damn reviews like Mm -hmm. unless it has something in it that says listen they kept switching tenses and you see three reviews that say that maybe you might need to take a look at something about your damn book right if three reviews say that but if they didn't like it or whatever To your point, not everybody's going to like everything. I kill characters. None of my horror books have a happy ending. Zero of them. None of them. There's jokes for people who go to my breedings and stuff that goes, okay, somebody's going to die. Okay, there it is. You know, because I kill characters off. Kind of like, to your point, what you do, right? Mm -hmm. Not like I go out of my way, but that's the nature of how I tell the story. It's a horror story and it ends badly. Like it doesn't end well. And- when people are like, well, I like happy endings, probably don't read my stuff then. You are going to be very disappointed every single time you do because there isn't a single happy ending in any of it, right? right. So I, I think you do have to find the the readers for you too. And you can right. be a hundred people and none of them may be your readers.
2: Right. And, and I, I, I think you're a hundred percent right. And I think that... Um, like for me, I, I think some of my endings are happier, but there's always a price to be paid to get there, right? You, there, you know, I never liked consequenceless stories. Like, oh, you mean there was never any real threat? You weren't going to ever do anything bad to these right. people? Well, I, I never
3: like I
1: just rec- like everything kind of ties into like a nice little bow, right? And it's like it's like yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just not realistic.
2: Right. And and like I grew up on Stephen King. That was that was what I read when I was way too young to be reading Stephen King. And I just I think that shaped that some of that shaped my my because Stephen King is he's a bastard. He kills everybody. So but, you know, but but yeah, I, I really um, I do think it's a matter of finding your, your readers. And if you get somebody who wants to say, hey, this was trash because I like sunshine and rainbows and this was all rainy days. Okay. I get it. That's cool.
0: And that's nothing personal. I always say, thank you for purchasing my book. You put money in my pocket by deciding it wasn't for you. It's funny because Jen, who jumped on, actually is a huge Stephen King fan. I find this ironic, but can't stand a story that doesn't have a happy ending. Oh, wow.
2: You were disappointed.
0: Stephen King's The Stand.
3: He he ruined it for no. I love Stephen King, but I know what I'm getting when I read a Stephen King book. So when I find new authors, generally speaking, I like have I read so much depressing stuff. All I want is a happy ending. I want the security that my characters are going to be alive at the end.
0: She got yeah. very very poisoned by a Drizzt book early on in her life. Uh, Ra Salvatore, who she actually confronted in a signing. About he the was very nice. Our character, it musical was
2: a, dude. I've actually had the privilege of meeting a musical dude.
3: He was really nice, but that book where he killed L. Brian, Spoiler alert, guys! It came out I've like never like twenty-five read, I, years I, I ago. Heard, I don't think I've read any of his stuff. That that there. series. It was the Pony and L. Brian, and uh, and I didn't really like Pony from the beginning. I was like, that's fine, I can deal with her because. Really, O'Brien's the hero. And then he kills right. O'Brien by making him slip off of a roof. And then the villain comes up and guts him. I was like, Are you kidding me? You just knocked your hero off a roof and had the. Vi- okay. All right. So now it's her story. You know. This is
2: what we're doing now. Okay.
3: Yeah. Right. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I, I, I had a question earlier, and my mm-hmm. lovely internet told me, No, you're not allowed to an- ask. Yes. This question. <laughs> you were
2: next on the question.
1: I want to, I want to re-tackle. I'm going to try one more time. So, you know, you heavily do research. Mm-hmm. Now, do you go into a story when you're starting something new with the intent of, you know, your one story is Les Mis meets Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. Did you go in, okay, I want to talk about the French Revolution when you started it, or was it something that kind of organically kind of you know as you were writing the story you were like well there's something about this that kind of uh makes me think of the french revolution like w- you know is it something that you just came up with as you started writing or you knew prior to starting
2: no from day one i knew it was going to be a uh haves versus have not struggle and i knew that the russian and french revolution were going to be major uh uh bulwarks i guess we would say of those particular but I also had some specific themes that I wanted to tackle, like the very nature of militating for others, uh, but the poison nature of the power that that gives you when you do that. And so the road to tyranny and some of those some of those things that I actually, I actually wanted to look at and I wanted to take a look at it. And I think I did a pretty good job. I mean, I know it's a little modest, but I was pretty happy with the product and I was pretty happy with the story. Um, There's nobody in that, there's nobody in that story. Well, that's not entirely true, but there are a lot of, a lot more dirty hands than clean hands. And that doesn't really matter on which side of the fence you're talking that these people are and are are on. And that was the, that was the look I was, I was going for back then. And I guess really it's kind of the look that I keep, right. That's kind of how a lot of my books work, but, um, but yeah, I wanted to go with the concept that uh, of the has versus the have nots and how um, people who you think are the good guys aren't really the good guys as much as you'd like to think they are. Not that that necessarily makes a bad guy as good, but that was my, that was my struggle. And, it, and at my, my whole point was to put those people uh, in very difficult situations, being caught between these two diametrically opposed forces. And um, that, that really, to me, is always the story. It's, it's never about as much as I borrow from history, I try to never forget that this, this is a story about characters caught in difficult situations. And that is the power that makes the story go. If I don't have interesting characters that are put in difficult situations, then who cares? You can write, you know, you can world, that's called world building. You could world build all you want, but if I don't give a flip about your, your character, I'm not going to read. I'm not going to read 600. I'm not going to read 600 pages of, 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 Store of, of world building, I want to read 600 pages of, wow, these people are going through this really tough time, and I want, to, I want to see how they get out of it. And I care about these people, right? That's the other trick. We were talking about Walter White earlier. I don't care about Walter White. I don't care. The guy ends up in prison? Good. He ends up shot? Good. He ends up a millionaire, yeah, that sucks, but I really don't want to see that. So, it, 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 I never really got into Walter White because I didn't think he was a particularly interesting or compelling character. Uh, now I know that I'm in the minority, so I understand. So I've heard some feelings out there in the ether, but uh, but that's the way I feel.
0: I don't. I don't think you're necessarily in the minority. I think there's a huge fan base. When you have a huge fan base, you hear about it. But I'm quite sure it's not everybody. You look at, for instance, you know, TV shows, and we talk about, you know, like ER was on the air for 12 years. Supernatural was on the air for 15 years. It mm-hmm. would have kept going if they just went yeah we're done we're done we're you know like there's not more of this story to tell we kind of got to like a point where both the showrunners were like Ugh, uh, we're done with Enough. this at this point. Yeah. but it would have kept going but you don't hear i mean supernatural fans are interesting in and of themselves but it's interesting when you see a show and you see a show because breaking bad was what like five or six seasons right and they also ended the show so i say that as one who watched it while broken leg it's right. like 5 or 6 but um they ended it and it kind of ties back watch how i do this back to my point earlier about also doing book series where you are still writing and you have a story to tell and you can still do it versus like kind of forcing a communication through trying to make it interesting again, and you lose the actual story and the characters you were trying to talk about.
2: Yeah, I, I think I, I I have learned that particular lesson, I think, as a writer, is, you know, having a plan of where your series goes beyond this book and the next book is very important. And um, I think I'm doing... I think I got my newer stuff, I think is, is better at that than my older stuff. And I think that, um, my older stuff had more limited series and now my newer stuff is, it's not open-ended, but they're longer, they're longer tales. But to your point, yeah, I, I, I agree a hundred percent that, um, that having a plan is very, very important when it comes to series planning. I, I really well. Game of Thrones is a good example, right? They outwrote the books, and I haven't seen it. But there are a lot of people who aren't particularly happy with the way the show ended. And I think that a lot of that is they left. They they didn't have a roadmap anymore. That's my opinion. But that's what it sounds like from a distance because I've I've read the books, but I haven't I haven't watched the movie. I don't know how you or watch the show. I yeah, no, we watch the show.
0: Don't watch the show. It will just anger you. Yeah, oh, wow. really great parts of it, and they did well with some of the characters, but I feel like they got to the season eight and either thought they'd have these guys for another six seasons or something, so they'd be able to do it, or literally just didn't feel the end was whatever. Season I, I, eight was terrible. It's,
1: it was, it's it, the thing is, it's all about no matter what you write, is be consistent in what you promise your audience you know it's it it doesn't matter if it's a happy ending or not because i mean let's be real no one no one expected the ending of game of thrones to be like happy go lucky like the sun is shining and all that but it's to me the only thing that really angered me was if a character acts out of character then you've lost me right. you know if they made this huge character change over here and then at the last minute, you just decide, "Oh, I'm gonna like flip the script just for shock value." Then it is just it to me that would just fuel my anger. It, there is no value. There's no value behind the shock, right, right. there. You know, you
2: and have to internal consistency.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Agreed. Okay, we actually have to wrap up this this episode. So, T. Allen Diaz, how do people find you?
2: Uh, Uh, I'm on, I have a Facebook presence. I have a Twitter presence in theory, um, but I'm never there. Um, but I do occasionally, I do get onto Facebook and, and occasionally poke, uh, poke around there. My, my most active on my email list and, uh, that you can get on, on tlndiaz.com. You get some freebies and stuff to, to be part of my email list, part of my email community. And, um, Trying to think, I do. Uh, yeah, that's basically it. Facebook is the big place where I'm the most active, but, but outside of my email list.
0: When is what is your next book that's coming out?
2: So I've got Hard Rain, um, John the Janissary, which is a story about a uh, imagine Salt or born in a cyberpunk setting, post-apocalyptic cyberpunk setting. She's a badass uh, private uh, agent. And uh, she has kind of amnesia beyond 16 months at the initial start. And she's got to figure out who she is while at the same time taking on these kind of side missions. They're not side missions, but these missions that go on. And, and she eventually gets kind of she starts to get caught up in in her past and in, 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 in the secret that 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 people have been keeping from her about who she really is and stuff. And so uh, book three of this of the series, book one and two are already available on Amazon. Uh, book three will be available uh, i'm going to time it so when you guys tell me this goes live i'm going to try to do the release because it's done it's in the camp i'm working on book four right now and i've had some really good st- book four was the one i was pulling not that i have it now but i had hair the other day and when i had that hair i was pulling it out because i was running into some story issues but i really think i'm going to have um uh, a rough draft and then maybe even a, f- a finished draft by the end of this month so they uh, have, have another hopefully release very month, cool I will send you release dates after
0: this so you know okay
2: that. thank so
0: you in the next few weeks but okay. you have been thoroughly amazing thank you for being on this podcast
2: with us well thank you for having me and thank you for being patient with my uh, my uh, uh, senile ways so that was very nice of you I appreciate your your graciousness there so thank you guys very much
0: this has been Drinking With Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance, And with me today are two co-hosts, Vanessa Valleante, and J.M. And our guest has been T. Alan Diaz. And we will see you guys next time.